You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Today in the driver's seat, I have Chris Kozen. She is an independent shop owner of Alternative Auto Care located in Columbus, Ohio. Her shop has been up and running for 36 years and currently 100% powered by women. She is an adjunct instructor of automotive technology for Columbus State Community College. Thanks for joining me yet again, Chris. This is the second time go around. I visited Chris on location at her shop and did an in-person interview and the recorder did not work or maybe it was user error, probably user error. Chris was gracious enough to (laughs) second round with me to actually get this thing recorded. So thanks for joining, Chris. Absolutely. Why don't we start at the beginning? What kind of got you into the industry, the automotive world, and then we'll kind of work our way through. All right. How I got started. It's always uh, one of the first questions that people ask me. I um, had an old car when I was in college, no money, and it was always broken. I had a friend who was a mechanic and he taught me a few basics and and helped me out keeping that thing running. And then I uh, realized I really liked it. I've always liked working with my hands. So I uh, did it as a hobby for years, just tinkering on the weekends on my own car, helping friends out once in a while. It's interesting how it turned into a career. I was unemployed at one point. You know, at that point, I was helping friends out here and there, and they'd say, hey, Chris, I need an oil change, or will you do my mom's brakes, or whatever. And I reached a point where I was doing a couple of cars a week like that. And uh, honestly, it was about both trying to get a little income for myself, but also what I found was that so many women were afraid of being ripped off. And so it became kind of a win-win for for the women whose cars I was uh, working with and also, you know, for me. So that's how I got started. I reached that point where I was doing two or three cars a week and I thought, well, what the heck? So I had business cards printed and poof, I was in business. I worked on the street, their street, my street, didn't matter. I had my toolbox in the back of my truck and that was all really good till winter came. (laughs) (laughs) It will be in an Ohio Yeah, that's not ideal. I guess in Florida, it wouldn't be as big of a deal, but we are in Ohio, right? Indeed. You got started, you got your business cards, and basically you were working out of the back of your truck and going on location in the streets in Columbus, Ohio. I'm making an assumption here. Was that Columbus, Ohio? It was, yes. And fixing people's cars. Before you know it, I imagine you eventually got a location. I did. So as that first winter approached and it was, you know, cold and snowy and nasty and wet, I thought, well, this isn't going to work. And I uh, rented a little one car residential garage and I worked out of that for, oh, I guess about three years. I had no heat and no water, but I did have a roof and electricity. So, you know, it was a step up. Absolutely. It's it's interesting because one of the requests that co- have come through in the Femcanic community is, 
you know, Jamie, I, I want to hear more from independent shop owners. And I find that interesting. One, you're exactly that, an independent shop owner. And I think especially with the younger generation, with this instant gratification through Instagram, social media, really hearing and understanding that you don't have to have it all up front and starting small and building upon it is often the way to go. That's absolutely true, Jamie. I I didn't know how to do everything when I started. I'm pretty much self-taught. I've obviously taken lots of classes and training over the years, but uh, when I started out, I was pretty limited in what I could do because I didn't have a lot of experience. You know, you can definitely start small. The same is true with buying tools, buying equipment. I think a common mistake that folks make in any business, honestly, is they get in too deep financially too quickly. And I had a very measured, slow growth. I, you know, bought tools as I needed them. I, you know, I didn't make a huge financial investment right off the bat where I was then stuck with a huge tool payment or a huge equipment payment right off the bat. I did it gradually. I think that's where a lot of businesses get in trouble is they get in too deep, too fast. You have to grow the business to support the work you're going to do and also, you know, the, the debt that you incur. You and I speak the same language where I've helped multiple friends set up and start their businesses. It's kind of like a passion of mine. And sitting down with you, you were nice enough to let me shadow you for a day so that I could really understand the inner workings and operations of an independent shop. And that's the biggest message I got from you when I shadowed you. And I think if there's one piece that the listeners take away from this, regardless whether it's paint, whether it's mechanical, whether it's any other businesses, you don't have to have the largest, most expensive equipment. You don't have to have it all on day one. What do you need right now just to get started? And done is better than perfect. (laughs) Absolutely. I think people get in over their heads. And this is true on the, on the repair side. It's also true on the business side. You get too much debt, too many things to manage. Uh, you don't have enough training. Um, and people sometimes think, well, because I can fix cars, I can own an auto repair shop. And it's really two completely different skill sets. And got to have them both, or you have to work on acquiring them both. I mean, I love fixing cars. I hardly ever do it anymore. I run a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I spend a lot of time on accounting and customer service and marketing and, and all of those other aspects of, of running a business. I mean, I sure, I pitch in some with helping with cars, and I help with some of the diagnostics once in a while. But I am not a full-time mechanic anymore. While there are some skills that overlap, it's really, you got to kind of have both sides of the, of the uh, coin, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's the other misconception. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to speak about women because that's the target market of this podcast and in talking with other women that what I'm finding is, is either they're running into discrimination, meaning, okay, they hit a Maybe everyone's nice to them and they don't run into various problems, but they hit kind of this glass ceiling 
where it's like, okay, I, I want to go to that next level. And I, I feel like a lot of women are in the position where they are thinking, okay, the only way I can do that is by becoming an owner. And I think, you know, do that if that's what you really want to do. But if your passion is truly painting or actually, you know, getting grease under your nails, that's great too. Or maybe it's welding or fabricating. But when you choose to be an owner, you don't get to do as much of the of that. And I think that's uh, sometimes not necessarily thought of up front. I think that is absolutely true. I say, <clears throat> I've been in business 36 years. And I say, I'd known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, because it's, I mean, yeah, there's the fixing the car part. And I certainly learned some expensive lessons on that over the years. Uh, you know, I always said, if I could take it apart, I could put it back together. And that was usually true. Uh, I did get myself in trouble a time or two. Um, you know, and I got training over the years and I got to be a better and a better and a better mechanic. Well, technician, I guess we should say now, right? You know, the business side, dealing with customer service and warranty and insurance and leasing a space and all of those other things, I I just kind of blindly dove in and, and you know, I learned some hard lessons over the years, but um, there, are, there are lots of ways to get help, advice, mentoring, whether it's about business in general or specifically about running an automotive business, whether it's a repair shop or a body shop or whatever it might be, have a little bit of a thick skin. I think that's true for anyone in the industry. But when you talk about women in the industry, well, let's let's split it up. Let's talk first about women as working in the industry, literally technicians, painters, body people, things like that. So most of the time, you are going to work with men in a male-owned shop, certainly in a male-dominated field. Uh, and you've got to have a little bit of a thick skin to kind of get through that. What you will find first is the novelty. Oh, look, a lady wrench. That's what they used to call me, a lady wrench. Look at that. Isn't that cute? Kind of funny. It was perceived as kind of a gimmick or a novelty. I still get that once in a while, but uh, not so much anymore, but once in a while. But, you know, you have to get through that. you got to be able to kind of roll with the punches. And then if you're actually working in a shop with other men, you, you sometimes have to deal with, you know, there's sexual harassment, there's sex discrimination, and then there's just plain old sexism. And it's kind of all of those things. It's all three, really. You, can, you know, if you get into a situation where you've got a coworker that's hitting on and you were being inappropriate, that, you know, you need to put a stop to that right away. That's sexual harassment. That's, you know, that's a big problem. You got to go to your boss immediately and put a stop to that. On the other hand, you have to kind Chris, of learn. can I ask you a question? I, I'm interested in getting your take on this because it's yeah. come up multiple times in talking to different women and it'll come across as, oh, I was just joking with you and why are you taking everything so seriously? And the big fear with women, and, and I'm asking you, and I know you'll touch on this a little later, but you're an adjunct instructor with Columbus State Community College where you're teaching men and women about the automotive industry and potentially becoming technicians. How, what do you recommend to women? Because a lot of women don't say anything because they're afraid of being mocked 
they're afraid that they'll get blackballed at work. I mean, just a slew of things of why they end up saying nothing. Is there anything that you've kind of explored over the years to help support the women that come through the program that you, you are a part of? Yes. So there's a couple of ways. For one thing, you know, it helps to have a sense of humor because sometimes they are joking. And, you know, maybe it might not be funny to you, but, you know, you don't want to create problems where there aren't problems. So you've got to have a little bit of a sense of humor, kind of roll with it. But it's also important to have really clear boundaries. Like, you know, making a joke about, oh, you can't pick that up, it's too heavy for you, is one thing. Making what could be perceived as, you know, threatening or harassing kind of statements, uh-huh. you, you have to be able to stand up for yourself. You have to say, dude, that is unacceptable. And my experience has been more with suppliers than with coworkers because I'm the boss, right? So I don't have, I don't have the, I don't have the coworker problem, but um, bring the, the listeners on board here. I should, I plan on mentioning that ahead of time, but a hundred percent of your staff are women. So, and that's been the case your entire career as an owner. No. I've had men work for me in the past, and I cannot say that I won't again. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to have all women for a couple of reasons. I mean, I, I prefer to work in an all-woman environment, personally, but I also think it gives women an opportunity to try out this career and this field without that layer of, you know, the sexual harassment, the sexism, the whatever you want to call it. Because it's harder to tell, do I actually like this or do I not like it? Because if you don't like your working environment, because you've got a guy that's busting your chops or, you know, a boss that won't give you any real work, uh, which is a common complaint that I hear from women who do work in mainstream jobs. Yes. You know, I just get the oil changes and rotate tires and I never get to use my skills. I never get to learn. I don't get to advance. So is that the problem or is it that you actually don't like the field? And so I'm really committed to giving women the opportunity to try it out, try it on, work in that industry without that obstacle. That's great. You were sharing just a moment ago how, you know, the sexism, the discrimination, that you experience it more with suppliers. And how do you handle that? Well, I... (laughs) So it's kind of funny, actually. One thing that I've experienced, particularly with my regular suppliers, it's not a problem anymore at all. But when I first started, or if I go to a new supplier and they get that kind of, oh, isn't that cool? Or, oh, that's a gimmick kind of attitude with me until they realize just exactly how much money I spend, for example, on parts or Money talks, bullshit walks, right? That's right. Absolutely. Money talks. And so they very quickly realize, oh, okay, this is real. Um, You know, I've been in business a long time, so I've built that, you know, lots of people have heard of me in the the industry, whether it's a parts store or a a machine shop or another shop owner, You, you build a reputation. And so that kind of takes some of that away. 
Where I still regularly run into problems is with guys who are just used to treating women in a demeaning manner. Like I have parts store drivers who come in and call me honey once. (laughs) They did it once, huh? (laughs) Well, you know, and I had one guy who, you know, I talked to him about it two or three times. I'm like, that is really unacceptable. It was an older fellow and he wasn't necessarily meaning it in a harassing way, but he was just like, oh, here you go, honey. I'm like, I am not your honey. And I, you know, I said it the first time I tried to make it kind of light and humorous. Yeah. And I'm a little, and I finally had to talk to his boss. And I I guess he got an earful at work because he came in and finally and apologized to me. And I said, you know, it's fine. I'm, you know, you're delivering parts to me. I don't need to make your life miserable, but you need to understand you can't call me honey. Yeah. unacceptable you know so so that's where I still have to get firm sometimes and that's where you have to know your boundaries on the other hand sometimes I choose my battles so like if I'm calling a parts store that I buy parts from you know once a year and the guy on the phone says okay dear I just kind of gulp and don't say anything but boy when my regular suppliers do that they get an earful so that's what I mean about you kind of have to choose your battles you've got to have a little bit of a you know, ability to laugh that stuff off. But you also have to know when they've crossed a line. Absolutely. And be be absolutely willing. And, you know, and when you move into the sexual harassment side and, you know, somebody hitting you on, hitting on you or making inappropriate sexual comments or, you know, inappropriate touching, anything like that, you have got to draw a hard and fast line right away. I'm just curious if there's resources out there for women. I'm sure there are. There aren't as many as there ought to be. Yeah. Do you know uh, of you any, know, Chris? Well, there there are a couple of like women in non-traditional job kind of, um, I guess, organizations for lack of better words. There's a place up in Cleveland called Hard-Headed Women. There's a place in Chicago called uh, Women in Hard Hats or something like that. And they are often more focused on building trades which are mostly all union. Mm-hmm. So they have apprenticeship programs, formal apprenticeship programs, and they have a bit more um, clout in a union. You know, you can always go to your union shop steward and say, hey, Jim Bob won't leave me alone kind of thing. But there are resources and there are, you know, women get together and answer questions. There are plenty of, for example, online communities, Facebook groups and things like that, where I'm in a number of women in automotive different Facebook groups where, you know, someone will post and say, hey, I'm having trouble with X, Y, or Z, or this guy, or this problem. And then women from all over the country can kind of weigh in and say, hey, I mean, I have mentored more than more than one woman across the wires of the internet to say, hey, you don't have to put up with that. Chris, you, you started your shop. Your shop has been up and going, you said 30, or how many years? 36 years. 36 years. So before we move on, and I'd really like to discuss the instructor side and your experience around that and Mm -hmm. really just women in the industry in general. But before we go down there, what's the main tip that you would, I know we covered one where it's like start off small, but for women out there that may already have a shop or just kind of like high level lessons learned that you've experienced over the years that you could share. And you're talking about owning a shop wise? Correct. I know there's a key resource that you use 
that helped you on the management side, not necessarily the wrenching side, but it's really about the ownership operation side. Right. There are a couple of different uh, companies that do coaching around business coaching. The Automotive Training Institute is the one that I belong to, uh, ATI, and it is specific to auto shops. So it's a program that involves training classes. There are Then there are online meetings. There are workshops. There's a conference. You get a weekly coach. And they really, you know, they specialize in the automotive industry. So they know your industry and they can really help. Don't be afraid to get help. I mean, I guess that's, that's my advice. A lot of times women feel like, oh, I got to be perfect. I got to do this. And they, they try to do it all on their own because they don't want to have to ask for help because that is somehow perceived as a weakness. And it is not. It is smart business growth, to to learn from people who have gone before you, who have more and different experience than you. Um, You know, there's a handful of woman-owned shops in the the country. There's a couple of different firms like ATI that can help, but um, I like ATI. They have a great program. It's not cheap. So it's not like you start right out there because it's an investment. I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but it's, you know, 50,000 bucks or something. Yeah. Not all at once, but you know, it's a, it's a long-term, you know, it's like a three-year program. It's kind of like getting a master's degree in running an auto shop, right? You know, without, the, without the credentials, right? But, but, you know, you learn about. What, what kind of turnaround? Cause I, I'll tell you what, when, when you throw out a number of $50,000, I bet, you know, some jaws drop, but Help us understand, okay, what does that get me? Because that seems like a big investment. It is a big investment. It gets a lot, though. You get weekly coaching. You have a, I have a coach. I talk to her on the phone. Notice I said her. I have a woman coach who used to run an auto shop. I talk to her weekly. I can go to all of the classes for free now. Of course, I have to pay my own is that travel Kim? expenses. Is your coach Kim? Yes, Kim Hickey is my Okay. Jim mentioned him. I met Jim at the uh, WIND conference this past week. So mm-hmm. super. Yep. That is awesome. And so, you know, you can go to all the classes. I mean, like I said, you got to pay for your own, you know, hotel and airfare and that kind of stuff. But the classes are completely included. You can go back as many times as you want. You can send your service advisor, for example, or your service writer to go and get training. They help you with accounting and numbers. You put in num- your, all your numbers weekly and it helps you monitor uh, what we call key performance indicators so you know where you stand have goals and you know you know are you hitting them are you close are you missing it uh, I'll tell you when I went when I joined ATI I joined ATI I'm gonna guess I'd have to look it up eight nine years ago I was ready to go out of business because I wasn't making any money Everything the shop made, you know, the boss is the last person that gets paid, right? Well, it's crazy. that That's 28 years, roughly, Yeah, that you were in business at that time. So it's not like the traditional 18 month and your business goes out, right? Right. You'd already right. been up and going for like 28 years. And I knew I was in trouble, even though I did that sort of slow growth and I didn't, I didn't have huge debt. That wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem was... Um, 
know, I was making sure all the bills were paid, all the taxes were paid, all of the employees were paid, all of the suppliers were paid, everybody else. And then there was nothing left at the end for me. And I would sometimes go a month, six weeks without any income, personally. And I couldn't afford that anymore. You know, I had a house and a partner and kids and pets and bills, and I needed a paycheck, too. And I was at the point where I seriously considered closing the shop and going and getting a job running somebody else's shop as a shop manager. Because I had the skills. I could have made a whole lot more money. And so I got an ad for this. I'd seen the ads a few times to go to what they call a boot camp for ATI. And it's like a one-day crash course of what they can do and, you know, I had a new service advisor at the time, and I thought... Did you get value out of it, Chris? Absolutely. I said to my service advisor at the time, I said, let's go to this. I mean, it was like, you know, 150 bucks or something. It wasn't that much money. I said, let's go to this. You know, I'm not going to sign up. I know this program's too expensive, but we'll learn a few tips. You'll learn a few things because you're just getting started. And I went, and I really took a hard look at that program and what they had to offer. And then I took a hard look at that price tag. Now, as I said, that was over a course. It's like a, it's like a three-year program. So, you know, it wasn't like I had to write a $50,000 check, but I had to write a, you know, $1,500, $1,600 check every month. It's like a college degree. Here yeah, it really is. Thing. It was like a master's degree. But then the other piece that came along with this is that they will come to your shop, look at your shop, look at your numbers, look at your, um, you know, operation across the board and tell you, yes, we can help you or nah, we can't help you. They signed a contract and I was off and running. And, you know, the first year or so, it was like my head was spinning. There was so many things to change and to right. improve and to get better at. Uh, and so then after you finish that re-engineering program, it's, you, you, you know, you, you graduate, they call it, and then you, I'm now an alumni, and so I have still all the benefits. I'm only paying half the monthly fee, though. It's, it's much cheaper when you're an alumni. But I can still go to all the classes. They have a big conference every year. Now, the conference isn't free. you got to pay for that. But the classes are all free. The coaching is included still. Um you know, the portal where you can look at all your numbers and your accounting stuff to help you figure out where you're hitting the mark and where you're not, that's all still included. And then the other thing that you get out of it after a couple of years, they put you in what's called a 20 group. The 20 group is, I just got back last night from Baltimore. I was in Baltimore for three days with my 20 group. We meet twice a year face-to-face, plus we have Zoom meetings regularly. We just spent two days in, in our meeting and it's 20 other shop owners and we talk about what we struggle with and we help each other and you know I'm struggling with this problem and well I've got that problem too or I had that problem this is how I fixed it and so it's this amazing networking support it's the support group it's just it's good stuff it's totally worth every penny I I paid for it I don't regret it ever that is very powerful stuff but it's not where you start you know, you don't open a shop and sign up for a program like that. That takes some time. Not necessarily 28 years, but... Would you recommend a make sure you're open at least, I don't know, 
couple years? Do you have a recommendation? I think it has to do with your operation. You know, we all start in different ways. Uh, I think you, you know, when you open a new shop, there are so many things to consider. Do I rent the building? Do I buy the building? Do I hire employees? Do I use some contractors? You know, do I, where do I buy my parts? What's my warranty? Where do I get good insurance? How do I get customers? How many customers do I need? How many customers is too many? You know, there's so many things to learn and there are other places to get sort of the first layer of that. There are ways where you don't have to spend $50,000. Do you know where, like a first layer example? Uh, I think reading. Mm -hmm. There are some really great magazines. There's one called Ratchet and Wrench. There's one called Shop Owner where you can learn about all these different things. Then there's, of course, all the technician magazines, you know, Motor Age and Motorsports. And, you know, there's all kinds of tech magazines that sometimes talk about this. Uh, a lot of community colleges have a shop management program, like Columbus State does. They teach you some of those basic things. So there are ways where you can get that sort of first layer of information without having to go hugely in debt. What a great segue into your instructor involvement with Columbus State Community College. It's located here in central Ohio. Can you share, there's, there's a vast wealth of knowledge that you have at, from a bird's eye view around women in the industry. Now, you teach these classes, and what kind of ratio do you see men to women? Well... Let's start with just the basic statistic that less than 2% of working technicians are women. Let that sink in there with, with our listeners. Less than 2%. That's pitiful. And there's no good reason for it. I hold the industry responsible for failing to recruit. I don't know the statistics, but I know that uh, people of color don't fare much better. I think it's something like 6%. So the problem is the industry, the automotive industry, does not recruit. They haven't changed the way they recruit. So I know, now I'm, I'm in my 60s. And so I went to high school in the 70s. And vocational education at that point was very definitely focused on people who were, quote, not college material, whatever that means, right? And so the boys all got steered to auto shop, and the girls all got steered to cosmetology. I don't think that's changed much. There are less vocational schools, but that still is the mindset. And the automotive industry is highly technical. You know, the average car now has seven or eight onboard computer systems, and when you get into a luxury car, a high-performance car, you know, they've got 13, 14 onboard computer systems. And that's just a gasoline car. Then you start to talk about hybrids, electric cars. You know, we're looking at self-driving cars here, uh, driver-assisted technology, massive amounts of technology and computers. And so what we really need to do is realize that this is a STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. It's a STEM field, and it's not treated that way, even yet. So I blame the industry for that. But getting back to your original question, in my classes, I would say my average class size is 18 to 20. 
I've never had more than two women in a class. Sometimes I have one, sometimes I have none. And even the women that are taking the class are not necessarily interested in becoming professional technicians. They're interested in protecting themselves and being better consumers. Still fine. Uh, everyone should have access to that information, but they're not looking for, um, you know, a career necessarily. The guys in the class are still significantly more white than the average population. Many of them are vets who are going back to school after getting out of the service on the GI Bill. There's still some of that sort of young right out of high school and always wanted to be a mechanic kind of guy, but, but there are less of those. Uh, it's a lot of people going back and saying, okay, I need a different career because, you know, I'm, I, I did six years in the Army or, you know, I was in the Air Force for 10 years or whatever, and so they're looking for something different. Um, but it's still overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male. I'm just I'm curious, only, what, what kind of reaction do you get from the students since it's predominantly white men? Well, you know, the thing is, I don't, I've never had an overt bad reaction. I don't know what goes on, you know, behind the scenes. But I think it's kind of like with me and my suppliers. Once I start to talk and they recognize, A, that I know the industry and I know the field, and B, I'm a good teacher. And not every teacher in every classroom is a good teacher. You know, I don't just show a bunch of movies or read them PowerPoint, you know, some of the some of them call it death by PowerPoint. You know, I actually teach, we're very hands-on. Right. They appreciate it. I I get great teacher evaluations. My students like me. Uh, often they say to me, What other classes do you teach? And you know, they want more. But, you know, in terms of the demographics of the class, it's still overwhelmingly white men. Chris, I think we are ready to launch into the red line round. Are you ready? Sure. All right. It's five questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Just rapid fire. And whatever comes to you first is the right answer. All right. The first one, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Rosie the Riveter. Love it. I got to tell you, uh, you know, in a, a, and we haven't talked about this at all, aside from the automotive industry, but I am a, uh, I'm a strong, staunch, radical feminist. Uh, and I very much believe that women can do anything that they set their mind to. And I think that uh, Rosie the Riveter is kind of the, the poster child for that. You know, when all the men were going off to war and the women had to step up and get in the factories and, uh, you know, help the war effort. So, yeah, Rosie the Riveter. Love it. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Well, that's two different questions, really. When I want to learn something new about the automotive industry, I go first to my 20 group, second to my coach, and then third to the larger ATI organization. You know, if I'm trying to figure out how to fix a problem, you know, whether it's a productivity problem or, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have enough cars, car count, something like that. So if it's, if it's shop management related, I go 20 group, 
ATI, Toy Group, my coach, ATI. If it's a technical problem, you know, like we're trying to fix a car, we can't figure out what's going on. There is so much technical information out there. I tend to go to sort of our usual tech software programs first. But if I got a problem I really can't solve, uh, IATN, which is the International Automotive Technician Network, and it's just a network of technicians, and you can post your problem on their website, and technicians from all over the world will weigh in and say, well, I ran into that and, you know, try this or test this. or So you can really bounce it off of other professional technicians. Good, good stuff. What excites you most about what you do, Chris? What excites me most? Boy, that's kind of a tough one. Uh, I think the fact that I'm still doing it excites me. And the fact that I'm 36 years into this business and this career and I still love my job. I still love coming to work every day. I mean, you know, there are moments when I want to rip my hair out, you know, when I'm balancing the checkbook or, or whatever. But um, right. I love the fixing part. And I don't just mean fixing cars. I mean fixing problems. It's uh, I think the kind of people that are drawn to automotive technology, whether it's as a technician or as a shop owner, are people who like that instant gratification. Something is broken, you fix it, and it works, whether that's a car or an accounting problem. Well, there's nothing more satisfying than balancing my checkbook, and I know that sounds weird. Um, But, you know, I tear my hair out when I'm doing it, but when it's done, it's incredibly satisfying. So it all still excites me. That is, you know, it's, it's ever changing. There's always something new to learn. It's never boring. It's never, never repetitive. That, that is very true. <laughs> That's the thing that I love about entrepreneurship the most is yep. that it, it is so dynamic compared to corporate America. Yep. That and you make your own schedule. That's a beautiful thing too. Right. <laughs> Within reason. Right, right, right. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? Huh. Well, for many, many years, I did karate. I have a second degree black belt in in, uh, karate. And so, boy, there was nothing like, you know, going and hitting a punching bag or, you know, working out hard. My body won't do it anymore. So I have to find it in other ways. Uh, I like to walk some, although I got a pretty bum knee that's not liking that much these days. But, you know, I just, I get up and I walk away literally, whether it's, you know, if I'm struggling with something in my office on the computer or, uh, you know, I'm trying to write a document or, you know, I'm get stuck, then I'll go up and go out on the bays with the technicians and say, hey, what you doing? You know, you need any help? What can I do? So, you know, there's always something else to do. And that, but, you know, the other side of that is you've got to stay focused and complete some tasks too. But I like the variety. I can just go and do something completely different. If I don't want to be in my brain and, you know, crunching numbers and staring at spreadsheets, I'll go out and take tires off. That's great. Chris, what's your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades, automotive industry? Don't give up. It is absolutely worth it. You're going to hit roadblocks and you are going to hit obstacles. That's inevitable. You've got to just 
find your way around, over, under, through, whatever it takes. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to, for help. You know, whether it's to another shop owner or another technician or, you know, a website or a support group. But if it's really your passion and that's your, you know, that's your thing and that's what you want to do, like it is for me, find a way. There's always another approach. I, you know, I say this to my techs sometimes. Uh, they're trying something, they're working on a problem, and they can't get it, and they can't get it, and they can't get it, and they can't get it. And then they finally come to me and say, I've been trying to do this for two hours. And I always say, if what you are doing isn't working, try something else. Don't get married to any particular approach. Uh, there are things that ATI recommends that I do not do because I don't, it doesn't work for me. You've got to know yourself so that you can know, okay, when I get in this place, I can do this and this and this, or I can call this person, or I can, you know, get up and walk away, go run around the block, go play basketball, whatever it is that you need to do to change your mindset, but don't give up. Try something different, but don't quit trying. I love it. So, Chris, where and how can people connect with you and or Alternative Auto Care? Well, Alternative Auto Care's website is www.alternativeautocare.com, and we'll be launching a new one here very soon. So what you see now will be different than what you're going to see in a month. Alternative Auto Care is on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can email me through the uh, Alternative Auto Care website. My phone number's on there, on the website. They can call me. I am happy to mentor other women in this industry. I will always talk. I mean, a lot of times the, the approach is, are you hiring? <laughs> um, and it's like, mm, not at the moment, but, you know, that could change at any, at any moment. And I like to have resumes and women on in the on the bench, as we say, or, you know, in the waiting room, as it were, who are interested. Or maybe I can say, oh, you know, I know this shop is hiring and they're good or, oh, stay away from them, you know. So I'm always, always happy to talk to women about women in the automotive industry. I do a lot of uh, career fairs, things like that as well. Yeah, I saw I saw on Facebook where you posted, I think it was in the Women in Automotive Facebook page where you actually visited an elementary school on career day. I did, yeah. And I've done middle schools, high schools, all kinds of different. I love that idea. And next time you do it, it'd be awesome to uh, be your co-pilot in that where maybe we can show up together and just share all different avenues. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would really, really enjoy that. And I'm sure uh, Safe Light Auto Glass, not that I'm signing them up, I may get in trouble. <laughs> They're a great company that uh, definitely supports women in the industry and even the youth in really understanding this, this STEM programs because with ADAS, which it, you refer to it as the forward and rear-facing cameras, which help mm -hmm. with the self-parking, it, it's just a great opportunity. Chris, thank you so much for being in the driver, the Femcanic Garage driver's seat. Thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, as always. I'm Chris Kozad, the president of Alternative Auto Care in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm a Femcanic. 
Get ready for next week's episode. An eight-year-old little girl that loves Elvis and Mopars will be Grace landing the driver's seat. Do you guys from Mechanic see what I just did there? Ava from Ava's Mopar Moments may be singing us an Elvis song and talking about traveling all over the U.S., capturing Mopar moments. See you next week, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, And most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?